I'll be in shortly. Tell the OR to get ready, okay? We're on our way to the start of the Ironman Triathlon. It's already started. We're going to podcast from there. A couple reasons. One is it's a beautiful day and it's a great time to talk about how the brain reacts to stress. Endurance, stamina, right? Things we all have inside us. But it's also just gorgeous, let's be honest, right? So why not? I live in Coeur d'Alene. My case starts today at 11 o'clock. I operated at midnight last night, did a craniotomy. It was on the left. Um, saw old and new hemorrhage, took it out. That was late last night, so I, I, I took the opportunity, rather than doing a 6 a.m. podcast in the hospital, let's go out and watch the start of a race, shall we? The call week this week was uh, extremely, uh, it was intense. The heat is high here. We're up, upwards of 100 degrees. Um, people are out having fun. Finally, COVID restrictions have released significantly. And what, what was really personally motivating to me was that I've been doing a lot of uh, self-work with a, a dear friend of mine who's like an amazing coach as well. And one of the topics is how to recognize and govern. And I can tell you about a, how that applied so, so, so much to a couple of cases that I did this week. I mean, the week kicked off with a, a gentleman who is 40 years old. At the, at the moment it happened, it was an unknown male. Got in an accident and he was uh, determined to be GCS3 at the scene, which means comatose, fully out, um, just basically brainstem function. Now, if that's true, if he really was GCS3, which is hard to hard to fully assess um, at the scene when there's so much going on, what that means is you don't open your eyes, you have no speech at all, and you don't move at all. You're essentially virtually dead. I mean, it, uh, he comes to the emergency room. We don't have any whereabouts about his family. He's 40 years old and he's got a large acute subdural hematoma, which is a traumatic hemorrhage on the side of the brain. It happens to be on the right side of his brain. So the left side of your brain is more involved in cognitive function. And um, if it were the left side of his brain, we might think a little differently, but on the right side of the brain, you know, you act a little more aggressively because you can salvage the left side of the brain. So I took him to surgery, um, uh, uh, took his skull off and uh, took out the hematoma, left his skull off, left the skull in the freezer so that the brain could swell outwards. And during surgery, I was really fearful that he did uh, succumb at surgery because there was this process of herniation that sometimes happens where the brain pushes through the, the hole where the brain stem is um, when there's too much pressure. Um, but that didn't happen. And actually, after surgery, um, I, I, I spoke with his, I met his daughters. Really, really like moving case and a lot of uh, effort going into this and hope, a lot of hope. Um, so recognize and govern. Here's a guy who is um, 40. He's possibly a GCS3, possibly dead. I'm possibly operating on somebody who's already, I mean, functionally dead. And, but to recognize that opportunity to, to save that life and to bring him back is, is real. So we did it, for sure. And um, now he's a GCS7. He has made progress every day. I don't know how much function he's going to get, but certainly, certainly, certainly he's got a chance and the family can make the decisions on how they want to treat him. But right now he opens his eyes, he 
flexes his arms, he's intubated so he doesn't talk. So that's, you know, to recognize that and act on that, that's a trained and uh, trained skill. Contrast that to yesterday. Contrast that to yesterday, I get consulted on a patient that has a essentially uniformly fatal condition if you do not act immediately, and it's called a subdural empyema. And what that is, is um, in, the, in the course of this patient, this woman had a chronic sinusitis. She was admitted for confusion. They did all this lab work and um, she had like low sodium and some metabolic problems that, 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 that looked like it could be the source of her, uh, her confusion. Oliver, the director of Compassion is here with us today. There he is, there he is. I'll tell you about this boat in a minute. But um, anyhow, she um, ultimately, she's not complaining of any pain, anything at all like that. But she, the, 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 the doctor yesterday gets concerned that she might be encephalopathic. So this is days after she's been admitted for this confusion. And she, they get a CT scan and then an MRI, and lo and behold, there is this massive infection in her brain. And what it is is she had a history of having an orbital infection. That infection, in retrospect now, ate through the bones into the frontal sinus, and that then ate through the bones into the brain cavity and that seeded in the brain and then some of it spread around the brain. It's called a subdural empyema. And the usual and customary would be to um, rush to surgery. And it's a huge surgery in this case. It's a bicoronal craniotomy, pull the face down, take the lid of the skull off, exonerate the frontal sinus, take out all the infection, and then clean out the areas around the brain. The caveat here is she's 96 years old. So, this deserves some real, real thought. I mean, I looked within, I discussed this with my colleagues, because you know, this all happened over a course of 15 minutes to make this decision. Ultimately, you know, I went and met the woman, and she had a little aphasia, meaning this infection had already took, an, took away some of her ability to recognize and speak. What we did was nothing. We did nothing. The woman is not in any pain. She's very pleasant. The process that kills you, that takes your life when you have this, did not happen yet. I usually see it when it's happening. Here I saw it almost like an incidental finding, and so I don't know when it really happens, and I don't know, you know, I mean, who's to say it is going to happen? It sure looks like it is. But to put her through that surgery, to put her for the rest of her precious life in a, in a hospital or a nursing home, ultimately it's the family's decision, and I gave them the option to do this, but they, 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 all, what they were really concerned with was just making sure she's comfortable, and the woman has no pain. She's sweet, she's darling. So that's how we governed that situation. So those are two big cases for the week. Uh, the week was full of, of, of other uh, surgeries, um, probably one a day. I think I've done so far eight trauma or emergency surgery for hemorrhage or tumor, a vascular malformation, a brain tumor, a thoracic spinal cord tumor compressing the spinal cord. A local oncologist gave me a call about this guy and this guy was losing function. He had a renal cell metastasis to his spine and it was taking uh, his function. He wasn't walking anymore. He was losing more function in his legs. So to get him well, it took him to surgery yesterday, opened up the back of his thoracic spine and took out the tumor and he's recovering now. You know, it was a, it was a full week. I've got a, a couple of spine surgeries that had happened for other reasons. And um, yeah, so we're here at the triathlon and it's a good time to bring up like, why do these people do this, right? Well, I think there's a little bit of like mental, you know, well-being here, probably some personal addiction to what, to stress, to endurance, but I'll tell you, it is absolutely real. 
we talked about endorphins and what endorphins do. Endorphins kind of excite your pleasure center. They, they, they make you feel good. They hit opiate receptors, they hit other pleasure centers of the brain. They're, they're made, they're peptides that are made in the brain, in the pituitary system, in the central nervous system, and, they, and they, that's what they do. They, um, they act and they make you feel good. So if you can get into that state where you're out of misery and into the endorphin release, it feels good. And that can happen, you don't have to do an Iron Man. I mean, for crying out loud, you can do anything to create, get, get endorphins. You can get endorphins cooking, reading a book, being with your loved one, you know, making love. I'm sure, you know, so many things you can, you can, that can release endorphins. There's something to be said, though, about stamina and endurance and what that does for your brain. Because if you can, it, it, it's more than like you, you, sometimes you look at these guys and you say, of course they operate at a higher function cognitively because they are, you know, they, they just are these elite athletes. They're these performance driven type A persons. When you have, your cognitive function does, does go up when you have endurance and when you have stamina. But there's, physically, what that does really is the, the, it increases the white matter in your brain and there's a measurable, physical, actual, objective difference in the amount of white matter in the brain in, in high stamina, high endurance, endurance persons than in more sedentary persons. And that, that, the, that the, the more white matter you have, the more connectivity you have, and the more your brain can function. So your, your cognitive level, your ability to think and act and enjoy uh, goes up uh, strongly. Let me tell you about this boat. This boat, you can scan it here. This is a 30-foot uh, kind of, a, uh, it's a Van Damme, Van Damme boat, Van Damme boats out of, uh, custom wood boats out of Boyne City, Michigan. Um, this is a uh, triple cockpit runabout that's inspired by a John Hacker designed boat. And it was made, it was a replica of a boat that used to run booze from Windsor, Ontario to Detroit, Michigan and uh, during Prohibition. So it was from the 20s, way back in the 20s. And it was, uh, it's got a little more modernized features. I mean, it's cold molded Honduran mahogany. Honduran mahogany, is, this was made in 95. Honduran mahogany is no longer obtainable. Now all the wood boats you see are probably, I think are African mahogany. But not only is this Honduran mahogany, it's from a single tree. So this boat is pretty stinking special. Uh, I had it absolutely refinished to the core, show quality last year. And I, I think it's one of the more special boats, uh, wood boats on this planet, if not for sure on this lake, and there's a lot of them out here. But uh, it means a lot to me. It, it came from a person that is absolutely, uh, an absolute gem in my life. Um, and um, you know, I took it over and had taken care of it and refinished it. And, um, enjoying it out here on Lake Coeur d'Alene. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. That's going to be the end of the podcast. I might take a little buzz to go see a little biking. What do you say? You guys want to do that? See a little biking? Hello. Yes, it is. Okay, give her, a, give her 75 grams of mannitol. I'll be in shortly. Tell the aura to get ready. Okay? Get, get, get her cleared up. Thank you, bye. I got to go.